1: to the there it is podcast the comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration i'm your host jason Farr. let's do this great episode today we are rejoined by improviser instructor theater 99 co-founder and author greg Tavares. he returns to the podcast for this really candid interview Greg shares his unique insights on creativity, vulnerability, and the emotional essence of comedy. We delve into his latest book, Daddy Issues, How to Stop Worrying and Love Being a Dad, where he openly reflects on his transformation into a loving father and the importance of embracing change. Really great, beautiful chat, and you can Pre-order the book on his Amazon storefront right now. It's coming out on September 18th. Well, let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Greg Tavares.
2: I can't believe 10 years has gone by. Almost.
1: You're not a kid anymore, buddy.
0: The, I'm, I'm an old man now. It happens to us. <laughs> you know?
2: It's so weird. You know, getting older, like, it's, everyone thinks I'm younger. You're someone who also looks younger than than you are. And so it's easy to not think of yourself as having gotten older, but then also I think every generation when they get to a certain age, when they get to that age where they're like, oh, that's an adult. We're like, I'm not an adult. (laughs) There was someone the other day who just has that like adult vibe and they're probably six years older than me, but I'm like, oh yeah, an adult. I was speaking of them like I was 25 years old. and I was like, oh, that's, you know, this older person, this adult over here,
0: well that's funny you say 25 my mom her whole life mom's still with us thank thank the gods mm-hmm. she's always she's probably she's 80 now you know mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. for 20 years now she said I still she still self-identifies as a 25 year old you know what yeah I mean? and I I didn't understand it 20 years ago when I was 35 but I understand it as 55 year old <laughs> I'm like I, yeah it does you do feel like when I'm hanging out with my wife I just feel like a kid you know I just yeah. feel like a like I'm, I've got two boys now, and like I'm like I'm not my father, you know. I'm not the old man, <laughs> right? Know? So yeah, I, we are, we are, we. I think we all have a an age that we stay at. Mine, 25. I'm always 25, you know.
2: Exactly. I mean, I've got a a couple friends from college, and I think their kids are the their older kids are the oldest kids out of all my friends who have kids, and they're like in high school, and I'm like that what that doesn't make any sense
0: does not compute Does not
2: compute <laughs> like you're, you're right. right i feel the same way yeah. you're like almost the age i was when i met your parents like that doesn't make any sense
0: <laughs> when you can start remembering yourself as kind of a full-on adult that of the children your, your friend's kids age you're like i remember 19. i really remember 19. <laughs> yeah. your kid is 19. <laughs> this is <fucked> up <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I mean, it's also why, like, age almost feels like just some scam. Like, the way we talk about age of, like, old, young, and out. It's just such a scam.
0: Agreed. <laughs> it's like, it's Agreed, not man. real. It's, it's, a, it's like this a, a bogus agreement that okay. I am opting out of. Because, I mean, and wisdom is cool. And, we, you know, we know stuff because we've been around the block and we you know, and then you, and then you see young people who don't know anything and you're like, oh, that's what youth is. What, what John, Con, what Conrad said, youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. And you know, like we, God, if I, 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 I still think of the, like, I went to, I wasn't, I did a year abroad, my third year of school, of college. And so I was like 22 years old when I was abroad for the year. And I went to Europe for the entire month of Christmas. And I, I'm, and I just had a Eurail pass, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I could, st- and youth hostels were like eight bucks a night, you know, because this was '89, okay. Yeah. And I remember just getting really tired and not being able to stay. I remember going back to England because I just got burned out. I'm like, yeah. God, I could have that week back, because <laughs> I, I, I I went back. I had a Eurail pass for a month. I had like ten days left of my pass, and I was like, I'm done. I'm gonna go back to my. To my little town in England where I can just know what where I'm going to wake up and where I'm going to sleep. And I was like, God, if I could have those 10 days back, I would just go as far into, you know, Croatia as the train would go. and <laughs> Go up through Hungary and I would have done it all, man. Spain, Portugal, all of yeah. it. A lot of things I wouldn't get a chance to do, you know.
2: Yeah, my dad has talked about those days where you could put all of your things in a duffel bag and travel. And it's like, that's all of your stuff. Fits in this one duffel bag. <laughs> like those are easy days.
0: What's interesting is that my life before Sarah and after Sarah is the very moment that that changed because I was in a duffel bag until I was 30. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was just, I lived, I lived in a couch and, into my thirties on a couch Wow. because we were touring so much with the have nots mm. that I would just rent a couch <laughs> and for 75 bucks a month. And I just and I was gone so much on the road so that I would just come back and and either probably crash at my then- girlfriend's house back, so these two guys who lived in West Ashley, they're like, "Sure, you can give us 75 bucks to rent our couch
2: yeah <laughs> and I was way too old to be doing that. <laughs> I guess that is something that people kind of stopped doing a couple years out of college, maybe, yes. but you know for good reasons yeah, reason. but you know, being able to tour uh, it, it gave you that opportunity, right?
0: Oh, it was wonderful. I, I I mean, it was horrible and wonderful and it was all the things, you know, but but I just didn't I, and I was just living a very tra- I, I guess it was that transient that late. Yeah. <laughs> like way later than than most humans. I was like in that duffel bag for a real long time. Um, <laughs> but it, but it made like that's the only reason why I could continue to be an artist is because I wasn't I didn't because I wouldn't buy in. That's it. you said it earlier. So like age is basically like this thing that is not true that we just buy into it Mm -hmm. same thing with like the reason why i if i would have bought into any of the shit that people that that were around me were buying in like i like things like i don't know rent and car (laughs) payments and going to the dentist Uh. and having long-term relationships children marriages and all this if i bought if i bought into any of those things i wouldn't have become an artist because i would have had to get the job you know to pay just to underwrite it all
2: but oh, I just right. stayed yeah.
0: that, like, I stayed that, like, when you don't, like, I guess I kept on having the priority of, like, I want this to get bigger in my life, so I can't have things like health
2: insurance. And yeah, I can't yeah you get off of something. that at 25, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah you're on your parents' well, I mean,
2: insurance until you're, like, 20-something, 25. Oh, yeah,
0: oh, yeah, well, I I was off my parents' insurance, but when I was nine, six, 19 years old, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah I mean yeah if, if I would suggest anything to the youth, it's stay in your parents' insurance as long as you can and use it. <laughs> Go to the yeah. dentist every six months while you're while you're on insurance, and if you oh. can't afford insurance for a while after that, at least floss <laughs>
0: I can't. T- I cannot recommend taking your twenties off the dentist. I really can't because <laughs> at 30, when, when Sarah said, you've got to go to the fucking dentist, I had 11 cavities in my head. And yeah. yeah and, and so like, I, saw so the next, I went, I had to go every three months, for like a year because I, I couldn't get them all at once. It was too much.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I just do. had a imagined going. Yeah. It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We pay for so much that we did yes. in, our, in our, youth. This, this, nomadic life you lived through your 20s. I wonder if it ties into this book that you wrote. So part of the reason you're here, other than just getting to talk to you again, is because you wrote a book called Daddy Issues, How to Stop Worrying and Love Being a Dad. And yes, it's a people can buy a paperback, an actual physical (laughs) thing, but of course they can also get it on Kindle and things like that. But I'm curious, like, did this sort of this, this mindset you had until your thirties affect your becoming a dad too?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I say it, I literally just, I am pretty, I'm pretty honest in the book. I just say straight up the reason why I didn't want to be a dad is because I was selfish. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be the kid. I wanted to be the one who I could put myself. I wanted to put myself first. I mean, <laughs> was just very selfish. I'm not going to say that being an artist is automatically selfish, but we do intend ent- to, we tend to nurture or indulge our creativity and it takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And if you put anything above that, then you won't do that. You end up not writing the book or not doing the play or not um, being an actor and all the different sacrifices you have to do to do that. Mm -hmm. So I was so selfish that that's what drove my, I just knew, I knew something about myself. I was like, I'm probably not capable of putting someone else in front of me. And that would be a shitty dad to have. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. that's really what, what motivated me to, to not want kids is because I was like, I, I, want, I don't want to be a bad dad, you know? And so, yeah, that, so that nomadic commitment to, to my creative life and being an artist and traveling and doing on the road uh, shows with my improv group, the Have Nots, and, and then, then just doing thousands of shows, basically. And also I really wasn't motivated because I had never met a person that I wanted to quote unquote, settle down with. Mm-hmm. And and that was this giant thing this meteor that hit my life was finding, falling in love. And mm-hmm. what was wonderful about Sarah is she said it really uh, before I ever dated Sarah, one of the first things I ever said to her when we had an actual conversation was I'm going to marry you one day. Um, and she laughed at my face mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, Oh, you're, you're, you're imagine like really having one of the first real conversations with the person that you want to date. We're not dating at all. She's dating somebody else. We're standing at a bar and her boyfriend is the bartender. Oh, and I'm talking to her. It's a longer story. Sure. But I, <laughs> but I just say to her, I said, I'm going to marry you one day. And she looks at me and she laughs in my face. And I say, and I say to her, So you're laughing at me because you think I'm, think I'm just trying to pick you up. I'm just trying to use it as a line. And she looks at me and she says, no, I'm laughing at you because I know you're telling the truth. Oh, wow. And so we, I was one of those things where it was either going to be forever or never, you know?
2: Yeah. Is that full story in the book? That's <laughs> not in the book. It's a different
0: book. <laughs> not, a, this book is not a memoir of my relationship with Sarah. It's a but, story. But, yeah. But maybe, I don't think I'll write that one. I'm going to keep that one for me or that's a dinner party story. Yeah. So she, early on our relationship, Sarah said to me, she said, do not ask me to marry you. If you do not want to try to have kids, she just said it, you know? And so I had to come to that. So I, I had to come to that decision and it took me about two years because I did, I wanted to be honest, you know? Yeah. And, and so I waited to ask her to marry me until I was sure that I would be willing to try. And it, so she was the conduit to this whole second chapter of my life or this, this, cha- this second book, you know? And I, and I say, I say it in the book, I'm like, if, if the person you want to be with wants to try to have kids either break up or try to have kids, there really isn't another third way, you know? Right. I, and I, I, mean, I'm, I don't know, but if if someone really sees himself as wanting to try, they'll resent you if you don't try. That you may not be blessed. You may not be blessed by the gods and have children, or it, some men would think they're sk- they're getting lucky, you know. <laughs> but yeah, like you, if, if a person sees himself as a parent, they have to try or go find someone who wants to be a parent with them, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that because because the. If there is a third option, it's being a bad parent and a bad partner, which or not trying and
0: that person resenting you for that.
2: Right, right. No, who wants that?
0: No, you can't like that kind of. I think that's our parents' generation. You know, I mean, or maybe like like the idea of living inauthentically with your lifelong partner, Mm -hmm. hopefully hopefully we know now that doesn't work
2: yeah <laughs> you know, like, i hope so yeah I, yeah we gotta i feel know like now. i see some young people still making that mistake and it's like guys
0: let's... that's like long-term role play you know what i mean like yeah. like I said, our, our parents were really good at like not being real and you know mm-hmm. not all of them my dad was pretty real around my mom <laughs> but just the idea of like being able to long-term role play a relationship i that's exhausting like yeah. i want to be who i really am yeah and, that's what how you feel most connected to the person you're in love with so that's that's how i became a father so the book is about basically going from being a reluctant dad mm-hmm. and i was a reluctant dad to losing your reluctance to giving to letting go of the reluctance mm-hmm. and to, for me it took me a, about a year the arc of my me as being all the way until my kids first birthday and then on my kids first birthday i had this kind of epiphany where I finally was all in and, and didn't resist it anymore and, and fully embraced it and, and had the change that if you wanna have a kid, maybe you had that change the day you find out your, wife, your, 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 your wife's pregnant or whatever, you know. <laughs> For me, uh, it was a full one year and nine months later. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and that's the, you know, you're a great artist and with that comes being honest and exposing areas of yourself that the average person experiences but does not expose does not even admit within themselves that is there and books like this, help them reconcile that I think, and figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: but, like, that's the, like why I write the book. I, I want other people to know that, that it's okay to take some time to warm up to the idea of being a dad Mm -hmm. and however long it takes, it takes as long as you get there. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you get there, got to get to loving dad. You got to get to being all in, you got to get to being present. You got to get there, whatever that means to you and your family. And for me, it was, it was absurd. Like the idea of being a father was so off in the distance. It, it, it was, it was, you know, it was like being in an absurd situation. And like, like my life had been hijacked and so it took a long time to mm-hmm. you know and you don't get to come to terms with it the way you come to terms with other things yeah like like a breakup you come to terms that over time mm-hmm. a death you come to terms that over time a kid you come to terms that it, but it's here it's in your lap <laughs> they're there so you don't get the space and the time to like take long walks and throw stones in the water and Watch the ripples and go like, "Who am I?" You know, you're, you're always this this life change at the worst possible moment because you're it's being ripped up. And most people, I don't think most people don't want to have kids. I think most people do. Mm. So it's it is a bit of a niche. <laughs> it's a bit yeah. of a niche. I mean, I bet more men than say it. Men don't talk about how they feel, man. You no,
2: know No, no. And it's the problem of the world. It is like like men. Like,
0: I really encountered it when I got my vasectomy. Okay. I got a vasectomy a couple of years ago after both the kids were born. Mm-hmm. And I took a long time to come around to it. Okay. And it's kind of the way, the best way to put it is this. So I was coming to, I was going to get a vasectomy. And so I reached out to a couple of my male friends mm-hmm. that have had vasectomies. All right. Because mm-hmm. I was having some resistance. And I I I felt bad about it. I felt bad about doing it. Like I didn't feel bad about like like I I got all the way to to the appointment that you have to have, and I I got kind of nauseous, and I got the fuck out of there. Okay, and I went, yeah. And so I started reaching out to guys that have had it, right, looking for some wisdom, and some compassion, you know. Mm -hmm. And I have good friends that have had (laughs) vasectomy, and all they would say to me was, "Bring a bag of peas." Man, I'll tell you one thing bring a bag of peas to that day on that day. You don't want to not have a bag of peas. (laughs) And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about the physical pain of this. Yeah, it's going to hurt. I get it. But is anybody else in the man room feeling weird about the idea of what they call voluntary sterilization? (laughs) Like, that's what made me want to throw up. Okay. And that was a discovery for me. I didn't think I'd feel that way, I, I thought I'd feel relief. You know, yeah. like, oh, well, OK, I never have to worry about birth control again. This is just fucking great. You know, <laughs> it was a surprise. You know why I was surprised? Because guys don't talk about it. Right. We don't talk about death. We don't talk about birth. We don't talk about vasectomies. We don't talk about health issues. We don't talk about pain. We don't talk about sadness. It is that man cage that we're in. Mm-hmm. So that this book is like not that this book is a raw emotional nerve of saying I didn't want to do something but I ended up doing it and I had to learn how to love it because it was another human being, you know? Mm-hmm. And so constantly people are always, the, the, when people talk about the work I create, because I wrote another one, a nonfiction book about a near death experience I had a mm-hmm. couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And this is another nonfiction book about, I would say, not a near death experience, but a life changing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, people always use the word honest, to describe my work, not funny, not
2: great. <laughs> But honest, you're
0: so honest, Greg, and you're so vulnerable.
2: <laughs> Those are two words I just dropped on you, but you are very funny, <laughs> right? Like it's in a way it's like, they're like,
0: it's almost like the vulnerability and the honesty that I have is off putting to people sometimes.
2: Well, I um, think it's because they aren't, they aren't used to a man being that honest.
0: And also a person that does comedy most of the time right. often is they don't. Like we don't really associate, I mean, I, I see it all the time, but like when you find certain comics that are so incredibly are honest and vulnerable, like Mike Berbiglia, for example, is just right. so hilarious, but he's he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't not short the vulnerability, you know, and the honesty, right. Right. Um, but yeah, like when people expect quote unquote straight comedy from me, and then I put out something that is by no means straight comedy, then then there is I guess the, the dissonance between the expectation and the deliverable creates a tension in the in the in the audience to put it in a fucking wonky way. But but yeah, I'm not going to stop doing it. I don't know how to do anything but this. You know.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned your other nonfiction book, and you of course also have Improv for Everyone, a book I have told people to read a bunch of times <laughs> I think it really makes a lot of sense out of out of improv especially in a world where there are a million opinions about it that is about comedy whereas these books they're about life (laughs) they're right yeah
0: and and i'll be honest with you i the way i think comedy works is about i was just teaching an improv comedy workshop last night uh, about game of the scene Mm -hmm. and i said and i'm like for me all of comedy is emotional comedy lives for me in the reactions you know i always talk about well, who was the Who was the the brother on Frasier?
2: Uh, Niles.
0: Niles, like what a comic genius actor, yeah. you know, and he, he it always lives in the reactions and the yeah. takes and the emotions of it.
2: Absolutely, so, yeah,
0: yeah. And so for me, being raw and being emotional and being altered and just being sensitive basically creates a better a better comic potential. If you look at like stand-up comics, a lot of times you're looking at the residue of their sensitivity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, they're, not, they're not being sensitive in the moment, but they were when they were the impulse to write it. You know what I mean? Was, you know, was they were in a moment sensitive to something. Like I was in, I was in line at the pharmacy uh, a week ago, getting some medications and it was taking forever. And the woman in front of me was just burning all this time with the pharmacist and the entire staff because she was buying medication for her cat at a human pharmacy okay and not only was she trying to buy pills for her cat but she was trying to get the good rx code to get the reduced payment on the meds for her cat and i remember being in the moment going like am i the only person here that thinks it's ridiculous that humans are waiting for the cat meds you know Um, so like that would be the sensitivity moment and then later on you write the routine but without that sensitivity in the moment that you don't have the routine, you don't right. have the yeah. raw material for what is created
2: later, you know, that is such a good point. Because even if you read a book about writing standup material, or take a standup class, the hook involves so much of an angle. And it's always it's always an emotional thing. You know, it's I think this is stupid. Well, you're angry about that. You know, yeah. like, I think this is scary. Well, you're afraid. That's the hook of comedy. So I totally agree that having emotion in your character adds a layer that makes stuff work. And it's what the audience is there
0: to do. They are having those same universal emotions yeah. and they want them to be validated. They want to have, they love to see absurd takes on their own concerns that it, because it makes them feel lighter it makes him feel all those different ways mm-hmm. you know and yeah so for me caring i always say that to people that i teach improvisation to is in every scene i ever do i'm just trying to figure out why my character cares about your character in this moment right. and once i figure out why i care about you or care about now then i'm rolling hard it's 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 easy to find to have the power basically because now I'm yeah. moving forward with what I care about
2: yeah you know? well that's and that's the big disconnect and shows that or or any performance any kind of performance that doesn't work the disconnect is that they haven't done that work to say like well why do I care or what's the emotion here and how can I genuinely present that when people present emotion in a very surface level way because they're trying to hide behind something, they're trying to hide the truth behind something, then there's a disconnect. If they are not trying to be emotional because they don't want to look silly or be too vulnerable, that's hiding the the truth behind something. And it's a major block for performers to perform well, for the scene partners they're with or whoever they're acting with, or for audiences to connect with them.
0: Yeah, I no, you're totally right. Yeah, and like with this book with with daddy issues, that's what I'm trying to jump right over, like jump right into a conversation. Uh, imagine it is, imagine it is a conversation. My book is basically a conversation with a guy with a from a guy who didn't want to be a dad who is who now loves being a dad to another guy who's dealing with that same thing, mm-hmm. but they're just earlier in the process. Right. And I'm and it's just basically all this shit that I wish I would have known about and not protecting myself and not withholding and not being emotionally aloof, Mm -hmm. but being connected and giving and all those things. Yeah. The book was my journal. When what's hilarious is I started reading this journal when my baby came home from the hospital 11 years ago, (laughs) Yeah, when he came home from the hospital, I started writing this book and then I was a dad and then I had a second kid. And so I couldn't write a book. That <laughs> was too busy, right? So this is 11 years late. <laughs> I wrote it at the very last possible minute because I'm like, if I wait any longer, this is all done, you know? <laughs> so a year ago, about a year ago, I just said, it either gets off the Google hard drive and becomes a book today mm-hmm. or or I put it away and I, you know, I don't delete the file, but I just stop ever thinking about it. And I I finally just did it and I had the bones of it and it was done in about six weeks
2: wow how did your wife feel reading it did she go oh I didn't know you were going through this or was she like yeah I, I knew all of this already
0: she totally knew and um there are some intimate details about our relationship in the book mm-hmm. so I gave her complete you know I said if it's about you you can you can strike it baby from the book if you want mm-hmm. to you know and she didn't cut anything you know, wow. she had the total right to cut if it was about her, you know, I talk about how sex changes during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was the most sensitive part. I was like, if you don't want to, that to be in the book, then I will take it out. But she read it and she was like, you know what? It's true. And it's not too graphic. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not describing sex that she and I had. You know what I mean? It's not like <laughs> yeah. erotic, but it is just talking about it. You know, people don't know. People yeah. don't know that in the second trimester, some women experience a sexual high that they hadn't had before. They just don't know. I don't know. I, guys don't talk about pregnancy. There's this this thing that happens with women when, when they get pregnant is this incredible sisterhood starts to form. And you see it. Like the, the, these women just have each other's backs and they are expressive and they're texting and they're calling and they give clothes and they're just there for each other. And guys are just kind of witnessing it. And it, the same thing doesn't happen between men. We don't enter into the brotherhood of dads. You know what I mean? Especially if you're a dad who, like I have an alternative lifestyle in terms of having where I work and how I work. So I'm available during the day a lot of times with my kids. Mm-hmm. So I'm at the playground and I'm at the doctor's. I'll be taking my kid to a doctor's office later today. And I will probably be the only guy in the room. Yep. And I'll go to the grocery store during the day. And I'll be one of the only, there'll be some old guys there and some guys that work there. And then there'll be me and I'll go to the playground with my kids and there'll be a bunch of young moms, the kids and this guy, you know? (laughs) So I've been the only guy in the room a million times. It's a lonely place to be a dad. It's a lonely place to be a mom too. I just Mm -hmm. don't know the story of that because that wasn't my story. Right. I just try to be that like, I don't know, it's straight talk to other men who are facing it, who are... I guess for who would be willing to talk about the, the struggle yeah, and that reluctance, it, it, it is a struggle, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of comedy in the book too. There, there's yeah. a lot of laugh out loud moments. I'm hoping.
2: <laughs> yeah. So you wrote this book and it's self-published and now's a good time. I think to maybe even create, you know, create something like we do on the show because I have a book idea that I would love to get out. And we're in a world now where it's very easy to do that. But I don't know all of those steps. So could you go through those steps? You've done it now a couple of times. Could you go through those steps of if someone has an idea how they can then publish it and get it out? Absolutely.
0: I'd love to share that. That's great. I'll help anybody who's listening to this. It's very, very easy. And, and, I, and I really think that solo performers and comics, and I don't care what the milieu is, you know, stand up. Or humorist, you're right. If you're writing funny stuff, or if you're just writing funny stuff on on Twitter, and you've got a collection of those, you know, if you have anything that you want to write that's comedic, it's free to self publish. You just go to the most. There are a million of plat, million platforms now to self publish, but the one that I use that every that is the most popular one is Amazon, or it's called KDP. Mm-hmm. Um, it's free to publish. You just go there and you create a KDP account which is kind of tethered to your Amazon account. And once again, there are lots of other platforms, but this is the easiest one and it's free. If you, let's just say, Jason, you just had a Word doc or a Google doc with a ton of writings you've done. And you're like, okay, I'm going to call that my book. I'm going to call those 50 pages my book. During, right now, you could pop open your uh, Amazon, click on or search KDP, create an account, create a book, an ebook, and download that Google Doc to KDP and then press publish and you, you'd you be published. Wow. It would be on, on Amazon in 72 hours. They wow. even have a way. To, there's even a, a cover creator in the back end. There's even a, a book template software thing right there. Bang. It would just be there. And the real benefit to this is this, I think. And you can get YouTube videos that tell you all the minutia of it is. The book can cost 99 cents. The book can be free. You haven't got to even charge anybody for it. Mm -hmm. But I think the real hack of this is when you have a published ebook, which is free, by the way, which will take you 10 minutes to download. You can then go over to AXC, I think it's called, which is basically the Audible um, platform to publish audiobooks. Mm -hmm. Because you have a published book on Amazon, you can now publish an audiobook and you can be the voice of your audiobook. Mm-hmm. It can just be your stand up material. You know, I don't mean just, I mean, that would be very funny. And you can, and anybody who has a home studio can record at the level you would need to. I would say if you've never recorded before, then maybe you'd have to get someone to help you. <laughs> yeah. But if you've recorded anything, podcasts, anything at all, mm-hmm. you have the software, you have the mic, you have the, everything you need. You I was the, I have my audiobook. I, I did this process. I mm-hmm. had no intention in selling my ebook of my, of my audio book Cause it was just my one hour, one man show about mm-hmm. almost dying in the ocean. Mm-hmm. I did it in Edinburgh and I did it in other theaters, but I knew I wanted to get that recording out there. And so I just did a voice to text transcription of it. And then I published that voice to text transcript as an mm-hmm. ebook. And then I went to the Audible site and I recorded it. Wow. And now forever, the recording of my story is for sale on Audible. I'm not a comic in that way. I'm not like a stand-up comic. That story is not a comedic story. It's a dramatic story. But I think about people that are doing comedy. There are no costs here. <laughs> That's what blows my mind. There are <laughs> yeah. like ebook publishing free. Okay. Mm-hmm. Recording yourself on on the Audible platform, free. The costs come in with things like cover design, mm-hmm. book design, and marketing. Mm-hmm. But if that if you don't give a shit about that, if you don't care about your cover, it hasn't got to look great. Yeah. There's actually a great website you can use called Get Covers, which oh, wow. costs 20 bucks. It's really, really easy. And I but bet still, Canva.com
2: you, also has something too.
0: Yes. And, and nowadays with like fiber, you can get it done really, really cheaply. You know what I mean? Yeah and with ai eventually we'll have ai art that'll all be easy too mm-hmm. um, but i think comics that are creating content written content that they want to put their own voice to this is a this is a real access point it's on a marketplace that we're all familiar with there's mm-hmm. no shady when it comes to amazon it's known there's nothing shady about audible it's all known you can have your book on on amazon and therefore your audiobook on audible by this time next week, bang, you know? Wow. And now you've got this calling card. You know, you can tell people at your shows or on your website, buy my book on Audible. And it's your voice telling your jokes or your voice doing your content. Mm-hmm. I pitch this to everybody that I know that does solo work mm-hmm. um, because I think it could, it's good for the marketplace. If you ask me, if we can get our work out there and have, it's just another, it's not live. It's not in front of an audience. That's the big change. You know what I mean? You're not recording a live show and putting it on Audible. But I think this is, could be serviceable for some comics that are that think their content would work in this form.
2: You know? Yeah. Do you have much experience with the marketing part of it, too?
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been marketing my stuff forever. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean, you're not going to make a million dollars and you're going to get marketed to heavily once you start going down that road i I, my inbox is full of self-publishing you know they say is the only people to get rich during a gold rush is the guy who sells the pickaxes you know what i mean (laughs) yeah a lot of pickaxe salesmen out there Mm -hmm. what you're going to do mostly here is you're going to market this to your your fans yeah you know you want to think about sales in dozens rather than hundreds yeah okay that's not to say that some what's great about it is it has a long tail like like my improv book came out before that kid was born. It came <laughs> right. out a long over eleven years ago. And I just got a brand new review on Amazon for my, my improv book last night. Oh wow. Um, and I get emails from people all over the world a couple of times a year mm-hmm. saying I read your book and I, I have a question, you know? So what's that's why I use the word legacy. Like if yeah. what you're writing is has any level of universality or timelessness five, 10 years from now, someone's going to listen to your book, Jason, and it will resonate with them. And all of a sudden you'll have this new fan or a new connection, or you'll just have impacted somebody, you know? Yeah. And that's what we want our art to do, you know?
2: That is the point, right? And it is, you know, the fact that there are these options to do it at low to zero cost and get your stuff out there. If there's some comic that's listening and wants to do this, That's something for your credits. That's something you can put out there when you're trying to get books somewhere and say like, oh, I've got books. You could sell that in your merch table or
1: something.
0: Right. And, and like if an artist, anybody who's listening to this, if an artist wants to try it out, what's amazing is if you don't tell anybody it exists, no one will read it. Okay. So if you're like, I just want to see how this works. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like putting a YouTube video on YouTube, but not telling anybody about it. Right. Right, right Yeah. If, if you have no subscribers and you just have one video, no one's ever going to find it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so if you just said, I'm just going to take my journal or I'm going to take my content. I'm going to just make an ebook out of it. And then I'm going to find it on Amazon and go, okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to download it for free and look at it. You're like, wow, this is real. Okay. Now I'll start telling people about, it. <laughs> you know, like go ahead and try it because No one would find it. It's like having a draft almost It's Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. storage.
2: (laughs) Honestly. Yeah. I mean, I say people should believe in themselves to put it out there because there's a lot of bad stuff out there. (laughs) There I've seen some bad books out there that are just like nonsense topics. I got a, my brother one year, just a gag gift. And he, (laughs) it was just a book, some random book with a terrible title. That I can't even repeat here. And he, he read him, like, it's like the worst book. Like it was like, so like some guy got drunk and wrote this book, you know, there's really bad stuff out there. So if you're worried about like your stuff being accepted, don't worry. Because yeah. if you're a comic and you're actually doing stuff and you've got enough to put together a book, have the audacity to just put it out because no. it's going to be better than that stuff I've seen.
0: Oh, there's no like, there's no hurdle to get over. Okay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. imagine it's the longest open mic in the world. Okay, (laughs) and anybody can get on, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing but time, and (laughs) and there are no sensors. It is any human in the world can enter any data, and it could be called a book now. Like the, the gatekeepers, it's the same hurdle as YouTube. Okay, right. It's just a marketplace, and um, what's wonderful about comics is that. Like, we're creating, we're creating, we're right. creating, and we want to create. Like, I didn't know I was going to be a nonfiction writer. And this is my third nonfiction book. I thought I was going to be a novelist, mm-hmm. a short story writer, and a playwright, okay, when I was in my 20s. <laughs> I was sure that was my destination. <laughs> but apparently, I'm a nonfiction writer <laughs> yeah. and, and I, not that sexy, but what the hell, you know? <laughs> Much rather would be a playwright. And so I'm already working on my next nonfiction book, you know, already. And so, I'm going to keep writing nonfiction. That's just going to, apparently what, how I want to put my information out in the world. And so I'm very happily discovering self-publishing, you know, yeah. and with this book, I actually went down the publishing route and tried to find a publisher. Mm-hmm. And it is, those days are over those days. If you're not already famous, mm-hmm. and I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you probably aren't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we're all just struggling to make our way yeah. in art form. And, public self publishing is the the thing about self I'm learning that this is my third book is the more you do it like I'm my old books are selling now weirdly enough like I sold more copies of my improv book in the past week because this book is now getting yeah you know some some attention yeah so I'm selling my back catalog if you will right so what's great like you comics listening to this you have nothing but content that's what's amazing about comics they love to write you know and especially now with voice to text transcription, talking is writing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. It is. So just, like, this is how you could write a book today talk to your phone for a half an hour, press voice to text. That's your book. Later today, put it on Amazon. That's your ebook. Tomorrow, record it, press, publish. Three days from now, you've got an audiobook <laughs> and an ebook. They suck. No one's ever going to buy them, but they also could be the beginning of a process for you to, to learn and grow and, and get better, refine trial and error, get to the other side, archive your work in a way that's really quite available to
2: anybody in the world. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing all that. I mean, it's encouraging, honestly, um, Justina and I, and Meg Pearson, you know, Meg and a couple of other, and Hunter Gardner also, you know, Hunter, yeah. So we're... With another friend doing a, an artist way book club, it's been really helpful to just like open me up creatively and as an artist and say like, you know, I have all these things and I absolutely can do them. Instead of doubting, I might as well just do it.
0: Hell yeah. Take imperfect action.
2: Yeah. And like things like this that we have at our disposal here, why not use it? Instead of yeah. saying, I wish I could do this or I wish I had done this. Just do it. Go ahead. Do it.
0: Well, I am not a perfectionist and this book is not perfect, (laughs) but it is available on Amazon for 99 cents.
2: (laughs) I am a perfectionist and I, (laughs) thankfully, Artist Way is getting me out of that headspace. So that's been good. Good.
0: Well, I look forward to reading your book one day.
2: Yeah, thanks. Uh, What else?
0: If anybody is listening, ever get the chance to come to Charleston and come to Theater 99, um, that's where I do uh, most of my comedy and it's mostly improvisation. So come and see us because we love to meet people that are doing comedy from other parts of the world. And uh, it's really wonderful to keep building that community.
2: Yeah, it's a great theater. I can't stress enough how that is a must go place. Theater 99 is a must go place if you go to Charleston. There it is, Greg. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast
1: again. It's so good to see your face, buddy. So great getting to talk to Greg again. Get his books and pre-order his new book, Daddy Issues, How to Stop Worrying and Love Being a Dad, on his Amazon storefront. The book releases next Monday, the 18th. For more on Theater 99, go to theater99.com. Follow the theater on Twitter at Theater underscore 99 and on Instagram at Theater 99. That's Theater with an R E. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod and subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. And follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes and Instagram at Jason Far Picks. Also, subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Links and bio. Until next time, be good to each other.
0: The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.